Father, we are humbled by any opportunity we have to come before you and not be judged. And for those of us who believe, it's, it's an invitation every day and every moment. And it humbles us. And Father, we at the same time delight in being humbled in this way because we love you so much. We know that our love for you is infinitesimally small compared to the great and mighty infinite love that you have for us. And so we give you thanks and praise. Help us to walk in humility, O Lord. And may our neighbors and our friends see something of the glory of Christ in our lives and desire to know him as we know him. Bless us now, Father, as we look at your word. I pray, Father, that you would help me, that you would help me to communicate clearly as I ought, and, Father, that your spirit would hold sway over our lives today to change us in the innermost being, to wash us and make us whiter than snow, and to fill us with a desire to serve Christ above everything and to be found faithful in him. Thank you, Father, for this time, this hour together. And we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about the mindset of every member ministry. And I didn't pick that as a topic. I just think that's what this text is about. You see, mature Christians don't merely go to church. They live on mission. And you should live on mission, no matter who you are or what you're your gifts or skills or lack thereof are. You should live on mission. At Calvary Bible Church, one of the core values has always been that it's something that we like to call, or we have in the past several years, every member ministry. When people encounter this congregation for the first time, my hope is that they would quickly discover that there are four pastors in this church and approximately 300 ministers, because that's the way it should be. And this was apparently Paul's vision for the church. In Ephesus, he, he talked to them about this. God had gifted that church with evangelists and pastors and teachers, as he gifts every church with evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Pastor-teacher, really, is the term there. It's, it's one office. They're elders, they're teachers, they're pastors, their shepherds, their overseers. And there's a reason why God has given every church, every biblical church, men who are ministers of the word. And it is for this reason, Paul, uh, Paul says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, he says, it is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not to equip the pastors for the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And, and that's you. That's you. So when you think about the ministers of the church, think of all the members of the congregation actively serving and caring for one another and for anyone who shows up here on any given Lord's Day. This is how a healthy church, a biblical church, grows and bears fruit. And by the way, when I say growth relative to the church, I'm not talking about expansion in terms of the number of people or buildings here. Listen, that is not our focus. The fact, it's why we're so stunned, actually, that there are so many people who are showing up here right now. Uh, listen, our goal is to take this church as deep as we can grow. We worry about the depth. We're concerned about the depth of the church. And we let God take care of the breadth of the church. And frankly, a larger church is is harder to shepherd. So let me say again, beloved, and, and this is the message I want you to hear this morning and next week, is that mature Christians don't merely go to church. They live on mission. They don't show up at the meeting place strategizing for how they can get what they want from other people. Oh, look at me. Look at my suit, look at my dress, I mean not my dress, but my tie maybe, you know, look at me, look how I can sing, look how I can pray, look how, you know, bless me, and rather these people 
These people come to church, gather with the assembly, hoping for an opportunity to find a way to minister to others on the behalf of Christ. And thankfully, there are a lot of people at Calvary Bible Church who live on mission. Praise God for that. And honestly, they're not very hard to identify. I mean, after the service, look about 15 minutes after the service, if you want to hang out around here, you might find a man about three rows back from the front who is, uh, has got his hands on another brother's shoulder and their eyes are closed and he's praying for this brother whose marriage is failing. If you stay a little while, you might find a, a group of women huddled in the back around a young mom who's had her third miscarriage and she never thought she could grieve so much. And there she is being ministered to. Or if you pay attention, you might go outside in the green space or over by the playground. Oops, that's got raptured. <laughs> it's coming back. Um, but you might find some teenage boys, maybe even in here, miracle of miracles, who are gathered together in a little group, talking about holding one another accountable because they want their minds to be pure and their hearts to be full of the Word of God. I've seen all of that here, and that's good. And what I want you to hear is that should be happening all the time, all the time. And behind the scenes, there are people on mission here at Calvary Bible Church. In fact, right now, they are and were. They've been here since before you got here serving. Behind the scenes, on mission, there are those who are counseling with the Scriptures there are those who are taking care of details that most of us don't know anything about. There are gifted evangelists and even more gifted coffee makers who are here early in the morning in an attempt to help the Holy Spirit keep us awake for these long sermons. In a healthy church, hundreds of acts of ministry take place every Sunday, every, not just every Lord's Day, but every day. Every day. I think about this week as I was uh, trying to study, and my phone kept going, bling, bling, and I thought, what in the world? It's, it's, a, it's a different tone than I'm used to, and I look, and it's our small group, and they're praying for someone. And everyone in the group, every time they get on and send a note, there's a little ding, there's a little ding, there's a little ding. And that's the way it should be. In a healthy church, the believers in that church are on mission, this is the normal attitude of a mature believer. But for many Christians, perhaps some who are here today, what I'm describing is a new attitude for an old relationship. And the old relationship is the one that you have with Christ and his church, I, I trust. And if you don't, I hope you'll come to know him today. This new attitude is one that, that calls us to live on mission all the time. Perhaps you've never considered this before. Maybe you've always attended churches that have had low expectations of the believers who attend. And if that, happens, if that happens to be you this morning, then I'm here to tell you that the Lord wants to motivate you for ministry. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to seminary. Are you a Christian? That's all you need. You've got the Holy Spirit. You know a little bit about the Bible. You're ready to go. And what God wants of you right now, this week, today, he wants you to slip out of the cheap seats and make your way down to the field where the game is being played. There's plenty of room. There are no star members. There's no, there's no room on the bench for anyone to be seated. There's much work to be done. Oh, beloved, God is at work calling all men everywhere to repent. He is seeking and saving a world of sinners. He's building his church and populating the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. And the truly amazing thing about this, the truly amazing thing, all, all eyes up here for a second, the truly amazing thing about this is that God insists on completing his mission in the world through the likes of weak, inadequate, unremarkable, Ordinary people like me and like you. Friends, if, if you intend to sink your roots in this little church, Calvary Bible Church, you need to understand that our expectation is that you'll buy into the idea of every member ministry. 
and live on mission. Consider what it would be like if there really were only four ministers in this church, Rod, Russ, Jason, and myself. Uh, Our church would be in some sorry shape. I mean, can you imagine Russ leading worship or sitting back here? You hear that laugh. That first laugh was Russ. I know that. (laughs) Or, Or can you imagine me handling all of our financial accounting? Okay, now you're laughing. And rightfully so. My wife is probably laughing hysterically (laughs) down the hall. Or imagine Jason having to take care of all the plumbing and electrical issues. He was doing that yesterday, taking care of some electrical. And I said, man, do not kill yourself. (laughs) Or or imagine, imagine Rod. I mean, well, come to think of it, Rod could probably do all of these things. (laughs) But he couldn't do them all at the same time. And they all need to be done at the same time. We are one body with many members, and all the members, that is everyone who calls Calvary their church home, is equipped by the Lord to serve and to live on mission. Paul's already communicated these things to the church of Ephesus, and I think that's what he's doing here at the end of his letter to the Colossians. And by the way, uh, he expected that the Colossians would read the letter of, of, uh, that he sent to Ephesus. He even says so at the end of this letter. So my contention is that, my persuasion is that what Paul wants, what Paul is doing here at the end of the book is he's calling us to be faithful on mission. Now let me tell you why I think that. As I was reading the commentaries and listening over the last couple of weeks on this, on this passage, uh, it was a little bit confusing because there are some really great guys that I love to read and I love to, to you know, understand the scriptures. Uh, they persuade me much of the time in certain ways. And, and I heard one guy say, look, this, this section of scripture, this last thing, it's about evangelism. The whole thing's about evangelism. And I thought, huh, I don't think I agree with that. I mean, the last verse in this section is on communication. And there are two other guys that I read who said, no, 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 this whole, this whole passage is about communication. And I thought, well, there, there is a section on communication, but the beginning of it is very obviously on prayer. And so they, they say, well, that's, that's communication. And I think, oh, come on, that's a stretch. And, and others might use a hybrid of that. And I, and I just got thinking, there's got to be a way to tie all of this together. This is what expositors do. They want, it, want everything tied up into a neat package. And I think what I see here is, is Paul is calling us to mission, and here's why. You're going to find out in this text, Paul is in jail. Paul is, um, Paul is strategizing for ministry while he's in jail. He's calling the Colossians to pray for him while he's strategizing for mission in jail. And then at the end of it all, he tells us how to be alert and, and to communicate carefully with outsiders, with unbelievers, calling us to be involved in the ministry while Paul is in jail. And so everybody here ought to be on mission. That, that's what I think he's hinting at. Now, I hold that, that perspective loosely, but I think you, you'll probably see it come out, I trust, as we go along. So Paul wants all Christians to play their part in God's plan for gospel growth and the maturity of the church. But for the most of us, that requires a shift in mindset, a new attitude about Christian life and Christian ministry. There are far too many people who think that the minister is the guy who stands in the pulpit every Sunday. And certainly I am one of the ministers. And others will say, well, it's the elders. Well, and the elders are also ministers in different ways. God has gifted us a little differently than most of the rest, just because he wants us to carry a special uh, burden. And really, the ministers are every person in the local church. But you may say, what specific mindset, what specific mindset is Paul calling for What does God want me, how does God want me to change? And I love it when somebody asks me that question. And I hope in your small groups you take that question seriously because it's every week, how is God calling you to change? And that's really a good question. In fact, it's an essential question. 
In fact, there are probably a number of changes that God may need to make in our thinking to bring about an attitude of every member ministry. But in this passage before us this morning, there are three attitudes or three mindsets that the Lord expects us to cultivate as members of his church. Specifically, Paul is teaching us that living on mission requires that we adopt a mindset that is, here are the three things, a mindset that is prayerful, a mindset that is plural, and a mindset that is, what's the third one? Personal. God has called us to all three of these. A mindset, a change in mindset that we would be plural, that we would be prayerful, and we would be personal in our ministry. And this is what Paul is getting at. Now let's begin by grounding this message in the scriptures. And for the sake of those who are packed in like sardines down the hall, I'm not going to ask you to stand. But just follow along with me here in chapter 4 of uh, Colossians. Chapter 4. I almost read chapter 4 of Philippians. That would have been a disaster. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, and we'll read through verse 6. Here we go. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with a with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now Paul says in verse 2 here, just the beginning of this section, continue steadfastly in prayer. The assumption is that they were people of prayer, and I think the assumption is that all Christians should be people of prayer. But the first obvious thing that we should notice and not neglect here is that God wants Christians to pray. God wants Christians to pray. If someone were to ask you, what should I do to begin really living on mission as a follower of Christ? Someone might say, well, why don't you start by volunteering in children's ministry? I mean, they always need people. In fact, our children's church is, is closed today because we, we don't have people. And we understand that we're having a global pandemic and we're, we're short of people in that sense but maybe start out in, in, in children's ministry. I mean, there's a little bit of a process that you have to go through. We want to make sure that our children are safe, but you can get through it if you know the Lord and you really want to serve. Or someone might say, look, if you really want to immerse yourself in, in mission, then uh, join the evangelism team that goes downtown on Friday nights. I mean, uh, that will that'll jolt you into a mission mindset. But you know what? Neither of these two would be the first thing that comes to Paul's mind if you were to ask him. The first and perhaps most important thing to Paul is the priority of prayer. You may not know this, uh, some of you who are new, but the elders meet every Sunday morning. We've been meeting every Sunday morning for 20 years now. We meet here early in the morning and, and we pray. We pray for you. We pray for you. And you know what happens? There's a couple of our elders and their wives who after we get done praying for you, they change rooms and pray for you some more. Uh, there's a lot of praying going on. I would submit to you not enough, as you'll see as we go. And I think that way because prayer is the most basic and most productive ministry the church can do. I mean, what more powerful practice can we engage in to further the gospel and, um, and to see the church grow deep than to ask God to accomplish what he alone has the authority and power to accomplish? And frankly, it is something every believer can do. You don't need special talents. It doesn't require a certain gift set. In fact, every believing child Every believing child can engage in the practice of prayer. What's more, the call to prayer comes with a promise. You, you probably know this, but toward the end of the Old Testament, 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, in case you doubt. It accomplishes much. James speaking for God. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So what's the implication? So pray. Let's accomplish some things for the glory of Christ. Let's not just meet. Let's not just sit and soak. Let's not just come for the entertainment or for the fellowship, although fellowship is wonderful and necessary and good. But let's pray so that we can accomplish much for the glory of God. Do you believe that that prayer accomplishes much? Do you? I mean, that, that, that question is synonymous with, do you pray? Because if you don't pray, then you don't believe that prayer will accomplish much. Otherwise, you'd be praying all the time. I preach to myself as much as to you. And besides, you know that I would never preach directly to you. I'm preaching to the person sitting next to you. This is what Paul is calling us to. This is where every member of ministry begins. This is the start gate for living on mission. God wants us to pray. What exactly is prayer? What exactly is prayer? Well, in its most basic sense, prayer is simply asking God for what we desire and what we think we need. Not, Not just we ourselves, but the people around us as well. In fact, the word pray in English, if you look it up, it literally means to ask. But of course, prayer involves more than simply asking for what we need. I came across a story this week uh, about D.L. Moody. Uh, If you don't know D.L. Moody, you may be familiar with the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, back in the 1800s, he was a world-renowned evangelist. And on one occasion, he was doing an evangelistic crusade in Britain. And he was contacted by some people who were in, um, who were in Scotland. And they said, uh, Mr. Moody, would you come? We have many school children here, and we would love for you to come and speak to them. And so he agreed to go speak to these children. And when he got there, he looked at the, all of these children, and, and he thought to himself, how shall I speak? What should I say to these children? And his answer is, uh, perhaps I should talk about prayer because prayer is, is such a basic thing to the Christian life. And so he began his talk with a rhetorical question. And the rhetorical question, and it was rhetorical, rhetorical question was, what is prayer? And then he was going to allow that to linger for a little bit and then tell the children. So he's standing before these children and he says, what is prayer? And 500 hands go up. And he was, he was shocked. He was stunned. And so not knowing what to do, he saw a young man sitting on the front row, and he said, young man, okay, everybody seems to know what prayer is. And so come and tell us, what is prayer? And this, this child, the school-age child, gets up and he says this. He looks at D.L. Moody, and without any notes, he says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ and by the power of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. Drop the mic, right? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Moody was stunned. And the little boy sat down and uh, Moody realized being in Scotland that what this boy just quoted was the 98th question in the Westminster Catechism. The question is, what is prayer? Now afterwards, as you leave, we're going to quiz you. (laughs) And Moody turned to this boy, and he said, Son, thank God that you were raised in Scotland. Because the Scottish church was serious about catechizing their children in biblical truth. Now, we don't have time to unpack at length the definition of prayer that this young man 
spouted off, but notice that this definition of prayer includes offering up an offering up of our desires before God. And there is good reason why Christians offer up our desires in prayer. It's because as those who have been chosen and called and justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, we of all people understand how completely dependent upon God we are. In fact, dependency is the very heartbeat of prayer. You'll never come to God if you don't feel yourself dependent. And in wealthy countries like ours, in wealthy families like ours, you know what the problem is? Why pray? I mean, we can purchase what we need with money. And we don't always feel our dependence. But God has a way of helping us feel our dependence. You know, when you pray most, you pray most when you're in trouble. And so many of the, the Psalms of David were, Lord, they're trying to kill me, they're trying to kill me, they're trying to kill me. You know, save me. I, I run to you. You're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my rock. We tend to go to God only when there's a financial disaster or a disaster with one of our children or a sickness or some pain or some disappointment or... Beloved, the key, the foundational key for effective prayer is believing what the Word of God says is true about you, that you are dependent on God for every breath you breathe. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. The very act of praying is a tacit acknowledgement that you are not self-sufficient. Remember what Jesus said? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. That's what Paul wants. Apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. I wonder how much ministry we do in the church that amounts to nothing in the eyes of God because we fail to truly pray. We fail to ask God to do for us and the people around us what we could never do for ourselves. We present ourselves as Christians, and, and though we haven't stopped believing in God, perhaps, perhaps we've allowed ourselves to become functional deists, living with God at a distance. Beloved, as a church, we need to understand that every member of ministry begins with dependent prayer. Living on mission is grounded in dependent prayer. When you go to God for other people, understand you should go to him about yourself first. Effective prayer begins with understanding your own neediness of Christ. And so we should be people who pray. But what attitude should characterize the mature Christian Prayer. What attitudes should characterize our prayers? And you might think, well, that seems like a random question. That seems like a preacher question. It's like you couldn't think of anything else to ask, and so you ask this question. Well, actually, I asked this question because Paul's about to answer it, so we put the question in front of it. Paul tells us what the attitude should be. First, he says, pray steadfastly or pray devotedly. The NAS says, devote yourself to prayer. There's an attitude of the heart that says, it doesn't matter whether I feel tired, it doesn't matter whether things are going well or, or not, I will pray. I understand my dependence, I understand my need, and the Lord answers prayer. Why wouldn't I pray? And so the word here for steadfastness or devote, devotedness, it's a strong word. It means to be courageous, to be persistent, to hold fast, and to not let go. It, it, it reminds me, when I was looking at the definitions for this verse, it reminded me of Jacob wrestling with the, uh, the angel of the Lord, who no doubt was the second person of the Trinity, come to visit Jacob. Jacob, whose name was eventually changed to Israel, 
And so he's wrestling, and uh, he's winning, and so the angel of the Lord t- touches his hip and knocks it out of socket. Can you imagine? Uh, they, they say in, medical, in the medical field that that is the joint that is, that is least likely to ever go out of joint. I'd have to check with Penny Moorhead on that. You'd have to get hit pretty hard to have a, a, a hip go out of joint. And, the, and, and at the end of the battle, at the end of the wrestling, Jacob looked at the second person of the Trinity, and he's holding on to him, and he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. That should be our attitude. The idea is that we must pray and keep on praying, ask and keep on asking, not because he is reluctant to give, but rather because he delights in our coming and asking. God delights in your prayers. God delights for you to come to him like a child and say, Daddy, I need you. I need you again. Daddy, I want. Help me in my wanting. Satisfy me. David says, oh, satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I may sing for joy and be glad all my days. God delights in the prayers of his people. Listen to this, Proverbs 15, 18. The prayer of the upright is his delight. God delights in our prayers. He's not holding out on you. You know, you knock on the door and he says, what? I'm busy in here. I've said that to my kids. God will never say that to you. You know what he says? If I look busy, ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, my door will be open to you. And Jesus was the one who said, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He delights in our coming. He delights in our asking. If you're not convinced yet, listen to this. Isaiah 65, 24. I will also, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear them. Beloved, this is the Lord sitting on the edge of his seat, waiting for his children to come and to ask. He is no reluctant Savior. He is no reluctant Father. Oh, beloved, I think we have a wrong view of God, or at least an an inadequate view of God many times. Why would we be reluctant to pray when he is so eager to answer? And you may say, well, he doesn't answer right away. It's just, he is God. And everything he does is perfect. And maybe he's trying to teach you something in the waiting. But he loves the prayers of his people. Or how about this one? I dare say many of you have never even heard this scripture. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. We read, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. What is he saying? God has promised. Now you pray according to that promise. Give God no rest. He is promised. Take the promises of God and pray them. Pray them. Trust them. Let God figure out the timetable. So pray steadfastly. Pray steadfastly. Secondly, pray watchfully. The NAS here says keeping alert in it. Keeping alert in prayer. Or, or literally it means to stay awake. To stay awake. What's Paul getting at? I think three possibilities here, and I think any of them or all of them could be true. Number one, as I said, it literally means stay awake. And so here's the application. In the morning, when you know you ought to be getting up because the alarm has gone off or you have woken up on your own because it's just that time your body always wakes up and uh, it's time for you to spend time with the Lord, don't put the covers back over your head. (laughs) Stay awake. And when you go to your closet, your, your place of prayer, stay awake. 
Do whatever you need to do to stay awake so you can pray. So watchfully, that, it, could be, it could mean stay awake. Number two, it could mean don't be distracted. Now, how many of you have never been distracted in prayer? Um, you know, you go, I got a chair that I sit in a lot in the morning if it's cold or if it's too cold or too hot, right? So that says something about me, doesn't it? I'm not sure I wanted to say that. Um, so when, when conditions are perfect, I sit in my particular chair <laughs> and, uh, and I'm getting ready to pray and I got my Bible open. And I got my prayer journal nearby. And I look at the coffee table in front of me and think, oh, look at those magazines. They're, they're, they're strewn all over the place and they're not. You know, it just took me a minute to fix them. And I get up and I fix them. And on my way back to the chair, oh, it's trash day. I meant to put that out last night. That'll only take me a couple of minutes. I, know, I mean, I know the trash guy doesn't come until afternoon, but I really ought to get that done right away. Go put out the trash and come back. And you sit down and... And the curtains aren't, the curtains are, are not quite open, not quite closed. And in my OCD, I, I got to fix that, got to fix that. And the Lord is saying, stop it. Stop it. Don't be so distracted. Pray everything else. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Every, anything you need will be given to you. Or, or like Mary, Martha, Martha and Mary and Jesus, and Jesus says to Martha, listen, Mary's sitting at my feet. There is one thing necessary, and I will not take that away from her. One thing necessary, not ten things. One thing. Sit at my feet. And there's another, another uh, possible interpretation, application for watchfully, stay awake, don't be distracted, number three. Or when he says be alert, he may mean be alert to other people's need, even if they don't offer it as a prayer request. Honestly, I don't know what your view of me is, but I've been learning over the last year how, how much my mind is focused on me rather than other, other people. Um, that needs to change. That's, that's something that needs to change in me. And by God's grace, maybe he's doing it. Too soon to tell. But being watchful might mean every time I enter a conversation, I'm listening. And my antenna's up. I'm not, I'm not saying what I do do. I'm saying what I should do. But, but my antenna's up. That's what it means. And I'm listening. I'm not listening for them to say, would you pray for me about this? If they, if they say that, that's, I mean, that's easy. But as I'm listening and I'm, as I'm asking questions, I'm thinking, I've got to remember to write this down. I've got to remember to write this down. I need to pray about these things for that person. Be alert. Be alert for need. Be alert for the needs of those who are around you. By the way, just as a, a, a note of trivia here, the word watchful or alert here is Gregorio. Gregorio, or whatever, however you pronounce it. From which we get the name Gregory. It means to be watchful, be alert. In the early church, uh, many moms and dads named their children Gregory, one who is valiant, one who is watchful. And so those of you who are about to have babies and haven't named them yet, there's a hint from your pastor. <laughs> My friends, what I'm what I'm wanting you to hear is that God delights, God delights in bold, tireless, disciplined, alert, watchful prayer. So we should pray. We should pray steadfastly. We should pray watchfully. Third, we should pray thankfully. We should pray thankfully. Paul says in verse 2, with thanksgiving. And Paul says that again and again and again and again and again in his 13 letters this is the same Apostle Paul who commands, in everything, give thanks. And it's the same Apostle Paul who says, for everything, give thanks. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Paul commands, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Want to know what the will of God is? Quit complaining. Be thankful. 
We believe that God is completely sovereign. He's infinite in wisdom. And he is perfect in love. And in every circumstance, we have reason to be thankful. The Lord is at work. He's changing you. And thankfulness will find its rightful expression in prayer. It will also find a rightful expression in your rejoicing in it with other people. The answers to prayer are God's gifts to you, even through hardship. Beloved, this is where living on mission begins. This is where living on mission begins. This is the beginning, the foundation, the gates of every member ministry. It's prayer. It's prayer. We pray steadfastly. We pray watchfully. We pray thankfully. There are things, listen to me, there are things God intends to do that he will not do apart from prayer. He has ordained not only the ends, but the means to the ends. And he, if he's not going to use you, he'll use someone who will pray. We pray, but we don't pray enough, I think. Paul knew these things to be true, and so he prayed. And you know what? He prayed a lot. He prayed a lot. Let me give you a sample of his description of his own prayer life. How did Paul pray? Without ceasing, Romans 1. He says, I give thanks always for you, 1 Corinthians 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, Ephesians 1. Praying at all times in the Spirit, Ephesians 6. We have not ceased to pray for you, Colossians 1. Always struggling on your behalf, Colossians 1. Constantly uh, mentioning you in our prayers, 1 Thessalonians 1. We thank God constantly for you, 1 Thessalonians 2. We pray most earnestly day and night, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. We always pray for you, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, 2 Timothy 1.3. And this is how Paul wants us to pray. How do we know that? How do we know that this, this isn't just an apostolic responsibility? We know that because of this verse sitting right in front of us. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue. It means pray and keep on praying. Watch and keep on watching. Someone will say, Pastor, this is, this is wonderful. This is all kind of new for me. Or, or maybe I'm a little rusty. Maybe I've been a little rebellious. Can you just, maybe it would help if you'd give us a couple of practical pointers on how to do this. How do you, how do you pray? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. In fact, this was going to be one sermon over this whole section. And when I realized that our church, this, is, this, this, this would be a great time, as we have been rehearsing some of the basics here in the last several weeks and months, I thought this would be another one just for us to talk about here in the worship service. Let's talk about how to pray, just for a couple of minutes. So here's number one, and if you don't have room in your notes, you can catch this later, or somebody posts my manuscript somewhere. But here we go. This should be, should be pretty easy. First of all, however you pray, always come to him as a child. Always come to him as a child. Come believing that he is your father and that he accepts you unconditionally. No matter who you are or where you're from, how much rejection you've experienced or how much sin is in your past, he holds none of that against you if you've come to him by grace through faith. You are completely and utterly forgiven. He loves it when you come to pray. You are his child, and he loves you. And since you're his child, talk to him about everything. 
Talk to him about everything. Don't get bogged down in lists of things to pray for or structures. I mean, there's a place for that, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the first thing I want you to hear is just talk to him. What are you concerned about? What are you telling your best friend, your closest confidant? Talk to God about those things. Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your heart before him. What do you need? Forgiveness? Wisdom? Fellowship? Is there something to thank him for? Does your heart overflow with worship? Are you anxious? Are you disappointed? Are you depressed? Confused? Joyful? Jubilant? Are you grieving? Do you need to lament? Don't worry so much about the structure. Just talk about it. Talk to God about everything. You know, uh, I won't be here to preach next Sunday because uh, on Tuesday, my wife and I are flying up to uh, Montana because I have a, a speaking engagement there, uh, doing some biblical counseling training up there. It just happens to be where all of my grandbabies live. <laughs> and you know what? I know at some point I'm going to get tired of them asking me questions because I'm not God. But you know, we're looking forward to the delight of them just crawling on us and climbing on us and asking and, and all of those things. And, and grandpa and grandma are going to want to say yes and mom and dad are going to want to say no and we're going to love pulling rank on them. <laughs> just come to him and talk to him. Paul Miller offers a help, helpful and appropriate insight when he writes, Jesus did not say, Come to me, all of you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. No, he opens his arms to his needy children no matter what, and the only criteria for coming to him is weariness. And so come overwhelmed with life, come with your wandering mind, come messy. And you will find a loving Father who cares about everything that is on your mind, without any exception. He will listen, and he will answer. This week I found a wonderful treatise on prayer written by beloved John Newton, former slave trader turned pastor, composer of the song Amazing Grace. And in it he writes about a certain Certain hindrances to prayer, and we don't have time to look at all of them, but they're great. And he says this. He says, the study, studied, or planned, addresses with which some approach the throne of grace remind me of a stranger coming to a great man's door. He knocks, and he waits, he sends in his name, he goes through a course of ceremony, and then eventually he gains admittance. While on the other hand, a child of the family uses no ceremony at all, but enters freely whenever he pleases because he knows he is at home. He's at home. When you go to the Lord, is it more like coming home? Or is it like visiting a great man's house whom you don't know? God has opened himself so that you will know him. In fact, that is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What a beautiful, helpful picture of prayer this is to us who desire to learn to pray. Come like a child. It might also be helpful to remember that when Jesus describes the intimacy that he wants with us, he talks about it as if he was hopeful for... Uh, the opportunity to enjoy having a meal with you. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens at the door, I will come in to him and I will eat with him and he with, with me. It's like going home after the service, knowing that Jesus will be there at the table with you. It's the kind of intimacy he wants, and you only get it 
by reading his word and prayer. These are but illustrations of the absolute, listen carefully, the absolute unhindered accessibility to Jesus. He is completely accessible to you. So pray. Come to him as a child. Pour out your heart upon his listening ear. Okay, so that was number one. Number two, the rest of these will be short. Create a prayer plan. I mean, spontaneity and freedom in prayer is wonderful, but uh, that doesn't always come. There's also a place for structure in prayer. People who devote themselves to prayer usually have a plan to fall back on. I just call it a prayer plan. In fact, here's one that I've used for years. It's just a composition notebook, and, um, and I've just divided it up. And I'll show you how. Let's talk about some examples of structure for prayer. Have you heard of ACTS? ACTS, ACTS, right? It's an acronym. And uh, here's what it means. A is adoration. C is confessions, confession of sin. Adoration is worship, right? So adoration, confession. T is thanksgiving. And S is, is supplication. And so what I've done here is I've, I've taken this and I've divided it in, into those four sections and the first one is uh, adoration. Whenever I find a scripture that uh, helps me understand something of the glory of God, I record it in here. So that when I go to prayer, if I can't think of anything to worship God on, I've got all these scriptures in here. I've got tons of scriptures to help me pray. We'll talk about that in, in a minute as well. Uh, C is confession. You're, you're not writing down all of your sins, but you're writing down scriptures that you find that talk about how to approach God when you've sinned. Some really wonderful text in here. Uh, like, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. I, I didn't even plan on sharing that with you. It's, it's just the next thing in here. And then the third one is thanksgiving. This is a record of answered prayer. When, when you know God has answered a prayer or, or he's done something that, that catches your, your heart and your mind and you realize that he's blessed you and, and you, the appropriate response is thank you, discipline yourself to write it down, put a date on it. You want to look back and see all of God's mercies to you. And then the last one is supplication. That's just a prayer list. It's real simple. It takes a little bit of discipline. But you know what? You can do ACTS without any, any of this. I do it all the time when I'm out uh, out and about praying, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. Third one is, is uh, a prayer lists. Um, and so I, I like to have a list. In fact, uh, here's my prayer list. If I can get it out. This is it. I, I took some Gorilla Tape, and I made a little pocket on the inside of my Bible. I know it's really ghetto and cheap, but uh, I like it that way. Uh, this is just a moleskin notebook, right? It's small. I want to pray for my family, and I want to pray for the church, and I need space to write things down. And so if you turn this one way, it says family prayer list. If you turn it the other way, it says Calvary prayer list. I just come from opposite ends of the notebook, and, and, uh, and I put a little box where I can check it off later when I think God has answered that prayer, and I write in the request and put in a date. It's marvelous. Um, and I... And I need that sometimes. I need that. Another approach in terms of structure is, uh, uh, Piper talks about this, concentric circles. Think about praying in concentric circles. Namely, first of all, I pray for myself. I want to confess sin. I just want to talk to the Lord about whatever and ask him to do whatever for me. And then I want to pray for my marriage and then my children and then the church and my extended family, my unsaved friends and, and, and my country. You see how it, it just keeps getting broader and broader. And in the end, you're praying if you have enough time. By the end, you're praying for the nations. And see here, number three, is establish a place and a routine. Uh, I find it helpful to have a time and a place for prayer. My best times are usually early in the morning, preferably before sunshine, if I can actually get myself out from under the covers. I get up and I grab my, my prayer list out of my Bible, my headlight so people see me and don't kill me while I'm walking down the street in the dark. And I walk through the neighborhood. And here's the thing. I walk in the morning because... I need daily exercise on the one hand, 
And on the other hand, I'm wanting to follow Paul's admonition to stay awake. I don't know about you. This may not be true for everyone, but I find it difficult to fall asleep while walking. <laughs> and so it just helps me, just helps me to walk and pray. If you've seen me in my neighborhood and I've got that little book with me, that's my prayer journal. I, I just carry it with me. And when I can't think of anything else to pray, I just open it up. I've got a whole list there. I've got two lists there. And if, I, and if that's not enough or, or whatever, I, I can go to concentric circles. And there's just a lot of ways to look at this. And then D here, or number four, pray the scriptures. Hosea 4.2 says, take words with you and return to the Lord. The best words I know to take with me to prayer are the words of scripture, which is why, as I said here, I'm not, I'm not writing down my sins. I'm writing down verses of scripture that help me know how to come to God. I'm taking words with me. There's a, a great little book called Praying the Bible, and it's by... Don Whitney, and uh, it's very, very simple, and it's, 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 a, it's a short book. It's really too long to express what he's trying to express. It's very simple. I think we have copies in our bookstore library over here. Um, but use passages of Scripture, Colossians 1, 9 through 13. Can we just flip there for a second? You're just going back two pages. Colossians 1, 9 through 13. This is so easy to pray for one another. Did I say that right? 9 through 13. And so from, uh, so here's what Paul says. And so from the, the day we heard about their salvation, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. What a great text to pray for your children, your wife, your family members. What a great text to send and say, hey, I prayed this for you this morning. When you pray for people, let them know you're praying for them. And then lastly, pray from the heart. Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks. The Puritans could really lay it down, and sometimes painfully. Uh, Thomas Brooks writes, God hears no more than the heart speaks. Okay, think about that. God hears no more than the heart speaks. If the heart be dumb, God will certainly be deaf. No prayer takes with God. What, let me say that again. No prayer takes with God, meaning God doesn't accept it. No prayer takes with God, but that which is the travail of the heart. He's just, this is a flowery way to say, check your heart. Check your heart. Are you really praying for them heart? And you know what? I confess, there are some days when I'm walking in the morning, I can't think of a thing to pray, and I forgot my prayer list. And I start praying, I'm trying to worship, and, I'm, and, I, and I find myself saying, Lord, this morning, I don't know why, maybe you'll show me. I'm not, I, I can't find myself praying out of love for you, but I am praying in faith. Would you receive my prayers? And I know he always does. Now, I know there's a lot more we could say about prayer, but suffice it to say that living on mission begins with prayer. If we're going to live up to Paul's ideal of every member ministry, the 300 ministers of Calvary Bible Church must become people of steadfast, watchful, thankful prayer. Because mature Christians don't merely go to church. They live on mission. And that means we pray. Let's pray. Lord, what shall we pray now? Except as the disciples prayed, Lord, teach us to pray. We need your grace for this. We are dependent on you, and yet you have called us to exercise our wills in this, that we would be fully engaged in the process. Lord, we know that you are working in us, giving us the capacity to do everything that you require. And we want to be faithful to you. We want to delight in you. We want to fellowship with you. 
We want our works to bear fruit. We want our ministries to one another to bear fruit. We want our ministry to the nations to bear fruit. We want our ministries to our wives and our husbands to bear fruit. We want this church to bear fruit. We want it to grow deep, deep into the waters of life and bear much fruit. So teach us to pray. May we be more faithful in prayer next week when we gather than we were this week. Change us, Father, just a little. Would you change us? Make us more like Christ who often disappeared and frustrated his disciples because they didn't know where he went when he snuck off by himself early in the morning to pray. May we learn, Father, to pray. For your great glory and for our own great joy, we pray it. Amen.